Praise the Lord, Grace and Truth Church, and everyone who is listening to this message everywhere at any time. We bless you, we love you, we're praying for you. We're just getting together today in the absence of being able to meet in person um, um, so that we can share the Word of God and pray together and believe for one another. This is Pastor Will from Grace and Truth Church, and um, I'm excited. We have a message today that I know the Lord has put on my heart. It's the second time I'm going to be ministering this message today because the first time it didn't record. So bear with me. <clears throat> but uh, I want everyone to know that Tavana and I, we love you. We're praying for you. And we're excited. Uh, we know these are trying times. Um, but God is on the throne. And uh, we just know that... Uh, God is not the one who puts sickness and disease on people. It's a fallen world um, and death and, uh, and theft and all the things that the devil does. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give life and, ha and that we might have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. And we're just believing him for all the things that he's promised for us and all the things that he has accomplished through the atonement. This is Palm Sunday and uh, we are... Um, i uh, going to talk about that a little bit today, as well as uh, the fact that we're entering into what is known as Passion Week, the last week of the Lord's ministry here on earth, um, before he was crucified and buried and resurrected from the dead. Next Sunday, we'll meet, be meeting for Resurrection Day or Easter, and we're very excited about that. So this week, we're going to hone in on Jesus as he approaches Jerusalem for the Passover feast, where his destiny is to come to sort of a boiling point as it were and then next sunday easter sunday like i said we'll celebrate the resurrection of our lord jesus christ so the next time we talk we'll be uh, talking about <clears throat> the lord in all his glory amen let's pray father thank you for this day that you've given us to come and to to uh, to talk you up to get into the word and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord jesus christ we thank you for your perfect sacrifice for us help us lord to identify with you better today to learn about your identification with us our identification with you to come closer to become one with you in the grace and knowledge of our lord jesus christ <clears throat> you know luke nine fifty one, jesus says as the, it says about jesus as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jer Jerusalem, saying, <clears throat> The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. That's from Psalm 138.8. But Jesus had great resolve to do everything that God had called him to do. It was not an easy task. Jesus spent 30 years of his life preparing for a three and a half year ministry in which he knew the end. And it was not good. He was going to be mistreated. He was going to be crucified. He was going to be mocked and ridiculed and killed. And uh, it was all for us. So I want to tell you today 
that even as the in the English Standard Version, it said, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Jesus knew that about himself. And I want to tell you today that God always desires, always willing to accomplish everything that he has for your life. And it is good. And that <clears throat> unlike the psalmist of the Old Covenant, who seems to believe God was good and that he would perfect the things that concern his life, he also felt the need to ask God not to forsake him. As New Covenant believers, we have a better covenant with better promises in Jesus Christ, and he has promised to never leave us, never forsake us, and that it is his desire that we be saved, and that we be in good health and prosper in every way, spirit, soul, and body, that's physically in good health, and and included in that. So we are not to worry like the world, but we are to trust and put our faith in God. Look up and put our focus on Jesus and not be so introspective. Um, We're not like those who lived under the law before Jesus came and before the Holy Spirit was given. But at the same time, we have to understand that God does not use his sovereignty to control every detail of a believer's life. Otherwise, he'd be interfering with free will, which he will not do. And whenever a believer walks in pride or unbelief, unbelief is really the big negative, the big obstacle in our relationship with the Lord and receiving from the Lord all the things that he has for us to do and to be and to 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 um, to be all the blessings he has for us that have been accomplished through the atonement. So they put off or put on hold um, um, by by pride, the efforts of the Holy Spirit to operate in, in, in our lives and and um, to lead and to guide us and to reveal to us the things that he so desperately wants us to know and to do. So we don't want to do that right now, especially as people are suffering and people are afraid. We want to be beacons of God's light to shine ever so brightly and to walk in victory and power and peace. And um, and just as Jesus did, and it doesn't mean that he didn't have problems, just like we are going to have problems in this world, but our faith is what overcomes the world. Jesus walked in victory, power, and peace, and so it doesn't mean he didn't have problems, just like we won't have problems. He was born to die a terrible death, and he knew it. But just think of ourselves as if we were 30 years old, going into a three-and-a-half-year ministry, knowing how um, effective, or thinking how effective we might or might not be, uh, ministering the love of God to people who rejected us and are, are going to kill us. But Jesus was sensitive God, to God. He, 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 he didn't live by sight. He lived by faith. He trusted that God would perfect those things that concerned him. And because of that trust, he lived a life of faith in God and what, what the Word of God said about him. And that's exactly what we're called to do. This is our objective too. And today as we look on uh, into the life of Jesus um, and his ministry and his journey to the cross, we're growing and strengthening our relationship with him. And in that we, we are finding out more about, um, not not only about who we are, but who he is. And uh, it's important that we identify with him just as he identified with us. And to 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 learn everything that he accomplished on our behalf. Second Timothy one seven says that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. I like to say that uh, we don't uh, and we won't have COVID nineteen because we have PLSM. That's the spirit of power, love, and sound mind. Um, and today is Palm Sunday, and so we want to get into a brief uh, explanation of that. First, let me just read read to you um, 
starting at verse 12 of chapter 12 of the book of uh, the Gospel of John. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went off to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he had called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. Palm Sunday is something that was prophesied almost 500 years prior to Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem on this day. The prophet Zechariah, he prophesied the event that we now call Palm Sunday. He said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's Zechariah 9, verse 9. And this prophecy was fulfilled in every particular. And it was uh, a great time of rejoicing as Jerusalem (laughs) welcomed their king, Um, Unfortunately, this was short-lived because these crowds were very humanistic, just as the the world is today and our nation is today. They were looking for a Messiah who would rescue them politically and militarily and nationally from the uh, oppression of the Romans who occupied the territory at the time. But Jesus had come to save them spiritually. Uh, First things first. And mankind's primary need is spiritual. It still is. Not political. Not cultural. And not militarily. But spiritually. And that's where our greatest need is. And that's what Jesus had come to fulfill. But they didn't recognize it. They missed the day of the Lord's um, appearance. And so because of that. They um, they missed out on the salvation that he was trying to bring to them. Many of them did, but many believed, and that's why we have the church today. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth not. But if I die, it but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. That's from John twelve twenty four. So Jesus compared his death to the planting of a seed. Like a seed, he would rise again and bring forth much fruit. And the fruit we're talking about in this instance is, is, is many people with him. That's you. That's me, brothers and sisters. And we are thankful. A grain of wheat has to die by being planted into the ground before it can grow and produce more wheat. So Jesus would also be laid in the ground or in the tomb for three days. And just like the single grain of wheat finds new life from this death and multiplies itself many times over, so Jesus would rise again and bring many others with him from death unto life. And we're just great, um, very thankful and grateful to be counted in that number and that our names are written in the book of life. Amen. Notice how Jesus spoke about this really terrible situation and made it a positive. That's what we should do by the way. (laughs) But how did he do that? How was he able to not focus on all the negative things that he knew awaited him? 
He was, he was, there were no misunderstandings on Jesus' part. He didn't think that somehow he was going to escape this terrible death. Uh, he knew. And still he lived uh, out of the joy of the Lord, which was his strength and it is our strength. Well, I can tell you one way. He was thinking about you. First of all, he has an amazing relationship with the Father. And he trusted him to perfect all that concerned him, just as you can today. But he was thinking of us also. Hebrews 12 verse 2 points this out. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So today we want to put a sort of a magnifying glass on on our Lord Jesus as he approaches Jerusalem and the Passover feast and this uh, Passion Week, as they call it, as as we lead up to next Friday, which is uh, Good Friday. Um, which is the day that he was crucified, and then uh, next Sunday, which would be Easter or Resurrection Sunday, where his earthly ministry uh, for him uh, will come to fulfillment. So um, I like this time of year to look, I'm really trying to get you to get a look at not only um, and relate to not only God's divinity or Jesus' divinity, but also his humanity. And I like to take a look. Nothing grabs me um, more in this regard than just a few scriptures prior to that description of Palm Sunday that I just read at the beginning of chapter twelve of uh, um, of John of the book of John. Um, and this is uh, six days before the Passover, the day before he went into Jerusalem for Palm Sunday. Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Uh, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment from her pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And then people got jealous for, for, uh, for their own purposes and reasons and agendas, uh, but that's not what I'm trying to point out here. I just want to paint a picture of this, this, this time. This he had just finished a lot of uh, traveling, uh, ministering, and for, for, for three and a half years, and he knew he was coming into his final week. But the day before he went in for that last week, that Passion Week, that Palm Sunday, to fulfill all the things prophesied, he stopped at a friend's house, a mile and a half away from Jerusalem. At the, at the town where Lazarus lived, and his his sisters Mary and Martha, who we've met through scriptures, and and other people that loved him, and and where he could just relax and get some much needed rest and enjoy himself. And I think it's a beautiful thing to to just kind of wrap our minds around, just to see that Jesus had need of of love and uh, and um, just to be with friends and enjoy good time with of, with good food and and so forth and so on. I want to, I guess, let's talk about Passover because that's going to come to pass before we talk again. The Passover is a a Jewish festival that commemorates the Jews being freed from slavery in Egypt. And it's all type and shadow of things that have come to pass already through Jesus. But the word Passover comes from the fact that when Moses was in Egypt to get the, um, the children of Israel, God's people, out of bondage, 
under God's direction. God had commanded the death angel to go to every house in Egypt one night and kill all the firstborn males of each household or family. God had inflicted ten plagues. This was the last of the ten upon this, these ancient Egyptians before Pharaoh's heart would which was hardened uh, toward God, would, would release these uh, Israelite slaves. And the tenth and the worst of these plagues was this, this night, this death of the Egyptian firstborn. And the Israelites were instructed to mark the doorposts of their homes with the blood of a slaughtered spring lamb. And then upon seeing this blood on the door mantle, the death angel knew to pass over the firstborn in these homes and not kill them. So it was called Passover. I noticed that during this COVID uh, outbreak that uh, lots of Christians have begun putting red ribbons or or paint around the, the door mantle to decorate. And that's a, that's a nice thing to bring remembrance to what God has done for us. And, uh, and that's just remember, there's no power in that, whether you use blood or whether you use paint or whether you use a ribbon. There is no power in that. The power has already been released through Jesus Christ. He's already accomplished all these things. But if it's something that just strengthens your faith by bringing to remembrance what God has done for us and symbolically through those things and, uh, and the reality of it, it is in Jesus, then that's that's fine. So go for it. Um, but this is um, one of those Old uh, Testament things that were just shadow or type of things that were to come. Um, Jesus in, in our story uh, today is about to fulfill all the Old Testament types and shadows by becoming the, the Passover Lamb of God, sacrificed so that we can be free, so we can be delivered from bondage and welcomed into our eternal promised land and rest and relationship and health and prosperity with our father in heaven just uh, because we've placed the blood of the lamb of god jesus on our heart our spiritual mantle of what the word tells us we are which is uh, a spiritual house in which god dwells amen so that's a beautiful type and shadow a beautiful picture this Lamb of God that we often refer to, you know, in the Old Covenant. And during this Passover week, Jesus would have probably, as he went into town and as he, on the night of Passover, when they did the Lord's Supper, as we refer to it, which was the Passover meal. And they walked down through the brook Kidron out, out of town, out of Jerusalem uh, to go to the Mount of Olives. They probably passing blood in the streets from all of the Passover lambs that had been slaughtered. And he had seen lots of these lambs there, but knowing that he was the ultimate Passover lamb. You see, in the old uh, covenant for 1,500 years of law, people, they had to atone for their sins, uh, and they had to do it by all making blood sacrifices through, from animals and uh, goats and lambs and birds and different things like that for different things. But uh, when they would bring a lamb, for instance, once a year for the Day of Atonement, when they would atone for their sins by this sacrifice, they would bring an unblemished lamb to the priest, and he would place hands on that lamb and transfer the sins of this person onto that, that pure unblemished lamb. And he would not look at the person. He would look in judgment at the lamb and then it would be executed and that blood would atone temporarily for the sins of that person. And Jesus became the the real Passover lamb that would be uh, 
that would be sacrificed once and for all, putting it putting an end to the need for all of the uh, sacrifices once and for all. He was it. But I like to look at this dinner at uh, for Jesus that they gave at, at Simon the leper's house. Who's Simon the leper? Well, they only mention him this one time in Scripture. But just picture it. Simon had to be someone that Jesus had healed of leprosy. He was known as Simon the leper. And I'm sure that's something that was an affectionate term, not because he was a leper, but because he had been a leper and Jesus had cleansed him. Otherwise, he wouldn't be having dinner at his house. So this person really loved Jesus, I'm sure. And so much so that instead of having the dinner at Lazarus' house, who was Jesus' friend, and he had raised him from the dead, um, he, didn't, he wanted to have it at his house. So Simon the leper's house... He's there, having been healed of leprosy. Lazarus is reclining at the table as well. Jesus had raised him from the dead, as I just mentioned. The disciples were all around, and and they had been with Jesus for three and a half years. They had seen tons of miracles. Blind eyes open, food multiplied to feed thousands. The widow's uh, son was raised from the dead. The woman with the issue of blood was healed. The centurion's servant healed. Um, the the lame walk, the the demoniac freed from his bondage, people raised from the dead, Jesus himself walking on water and uh, calling Peter to do the same, calming the sea. Just trying to paint a picture for you of everything that had transpired and how this wonderful time of refreshing and rest and peace. And um, they had seen Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, and, and Moses and Elijah appeared and God spoke to him there. A few of them had seen that. Anyway, it was all coming to an end. And here they were at this moment. And Mary was there, Lazarus' sister. We met her and Martha through the scriptures. And Anyway, it was just a, a special time. And, uh, and I, I just... Nothing paints a better picture of the humanity of Jesus uh, better than that that particular scene. I always love to reflect on that just to get a glimpse into the day in the life of our Lord Jesus as a man and uh, and a savior. But it's important that we identify ourselves uh, with Jesus. The way that we kind of do identification is to make ourselves sort of one with someone so this is a good way to do that to just kind of put ourselves in his place and to see him and to know him better right so there's sort of two sides to this identification coin one is that jesus first of all identified himself with us with sinners with sinful man with the whole adamic race everyone from Adam all the way to Jesus was born uh, as sinners with this fallen, corrupt nature, this corrupted seed. Um, the, nothing we could do about it. We were in need of a Savior, and we couldn't save ourselves. So Jesus came and uh, and identified himself with us by making himself the Son of Man. And we, on the alternate side of the coin, are called to identify ourselves with him to in his death in his life in his burial in his resurrection in his even his ascension to the throne of of god because the bible says that we are seated with him in heavenly places even now and this is something that's impossible to comprehend except by the spirit of god so i just pray that the holy spirit minister to you as we implant these truths into your spirit and that you continue to meditate on them and make them your own 
So the first side of that coin is uh, is um, is uh, our identification with him. So or his identification with us. So eighty times in the the Bible, Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. The Book of Daniel, chapter seven, verses thirteen and fourteen. Daniel was given a beautiful vision of what was going to take place in Jesus' life. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is amazing. Daniel was given this vision, and he spoke it so eloquently. But he's talking about a vision of a kingdom ruled by God through the Messiah. He referred to as the Son of Man. Jesus even presented himself as the Son of Man throughout Scripture, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But here, they're talking about this Son of Man presenting himself to the someone referred to as the Ancient of Days. That's God the Father himself. And God gave him, Jesus, everlasting dominion of his kingdom, never to be destroyed. And that's what's taken place the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and in large part the New Testament in Greek. But in the Old Testament there is also some Aramaic. This is um, The Hebrew is the original language of the Jews, but I guess they probably picked up Aramaic and during their captivity in Babylon. But the word son of man in Hebrew means is just ben Adam which means son of man or son of Adam, which is talking about humanity. But the word that is used throughout the Bible, and even in this Old Testament prophecy from Daniel, is bar Enush, which is the Aramaic version of that. And it's much more inclusive and descriptive. It talks about man and refers to him in all of his frailty, all of his weakness. The fact that he is, 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 is just a man and that he is in need of God. This is uh, the one that's used by, by Daniel, this description. So this son of frailty, this son of man, of weakness. And even, like I said, Jesus referred to himself as this in Aramaic in the New, in the new Covenant, in the Gospels. But he is bestowed with this kingdom. And the Jews, when Jesus referred to himself in this way, they knew exactly what he was saying. He was calling himself the Messiah, and that's why they hated him. They were jealous, and they didn't uh, they didn't know him or receive him. Some did, but there are four places in the, in the book of Matthew where Jesus describes himself as the Son of Man. And it's interesting, sort of this two-sided coin I'm talking about. He refers to himself a couple of times in, in chapter 8, verse 20, and in chapter 20, verse 28, as, um, as sort of in his humanity and in his humility. And in the other two verses, in 1627 and in 26-64, uh, sort of referring to the Son of Man in his glory for the future as a king and a conqueror and uh, a ruler. And I'll read that. Uh, matter of fact, I'll turn to the last one because it, it, it's very close to um, describing Daniel's vision from um, Daniel 
chapter 7 that we just talked about. Matthew 26, um, verse uh, 64. Matthew 26, verse 64. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his robes. See, they, they hated him, describing himself that way. But he was right, and they were wrong. Amen. Praise God. But this this description is, is very much like the one that we just uh, talked about in Daniel, where he's referring to himself in power and glory as ruler and, and king. And then in Isaiah, there are two verses, 7 and 14, they bring all this, right? I tell you, two two verses in Matthew uh, referring to himself as Son of Man in humility and in his humanity, and two verses, Son of Man in his future glory and as King and Ruler. Well, and it kind of culminates in Isaiah when they start talking about the the coming Messiah, and and talking about the birth to uh, the virgin birth and so forth. He's referred to as Emmanuel, one word, which means God with us. So God and man. In one word, one name, Emmanuel. It shows the humanity and divinity of Jesus. And in verse um, chapter 9, verse 6 in Isaiah, it says, He will be called Eternal Father and Prince of Peace, God and man. So, and he's also referred to as the last Adam. Um, Adam in the garden was the first Adam. And then Jesus, the last Adam, is not that he's the last man to be born, but everyone from Adam until Jesus... Um, all had this corrupted sin nature, and and um, and the penalty for that is death. Um, and so Jesus is referred to the last Adam, and the meaning is that all the sins, all the frailty, all the weaknesses of all men from all time, from Adam until the present, came upon Jesus, and even to the future, came upon Jesus on the cross, and all the problems of humanity were solved by one man. This God-man, Jesus Christ. And so I know there's a question in your mind now. If this is true, why do I still have problems then? If he solved everything, why do I still lack? Why do I still lack provision? Why do I still lack peace? Why do I still lack health? Why do I still lack joy, etc.? Well, that's what we're talking about today. He identified himself with man by coming by becoming a man experiencing everything that we're experiencing and everything that we're uh, persecuted for and everything that challenges us and tempts us. And he became our kinsman redeemer, being like us in order to be the one to be able to rescue us. It was a man who was given authority and dominion in the garden and man who gave it away. So it had to be man who came back and, and earned the right to serve God's justice, to, to be entitled to get it back. And Jesus did that for us. Now, we're invited and expected, if you will, to identify ourselves with him. So, that's where we're at. So, how do we do, want to, how do, we do that? Well, in all aspects of his life, really, we need to get to know him better. Just like talking about his life today and studying him and, and relating to him as he related to us. Seeing him walk through his ministry, seeing him in all aspects of his life, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension to the throne of God until it becomes 
reality to us. It becomes, it's already truth, but it has to become revelation, knowledge to us so that we walk in this victory and and grace that he's provided through the atonement. The entire purpose, I would say, of Jesus becoming a man, God's entire ultimate plan and purpose, which even the disciples didn't understand until after Jesus' resurrection, is revealed 700 years before Jesus' birth in Isaiah 53. So I want to look at Isaiah chapter 53 and go over that. And I've sort of always studied it out in in four sections. It's, it's, there are 12, 12 verses in Isaiah 53. And you can look at it in four sections of three verses each, and it'll help you. 53. I'm just going to start with the first three verses, and I'm going to read those to you. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and was esteemed. And we, and we esteemed him not. Who has believed? The first thing that they start off with, that the Holy Spirit warns us against, at the very beginning of this great passage of Scripture describing the life and sacrifice of Jesus, he warns us against the greatest barrier between God and man, which is unbelief. He says, who has believed? So that is something we need to be always aware of, that unbelief is the biggest hindrance to our faith and to us receiving from God all the things that he has for us. <clears throat> this word again that we talked about in Aramaic for son of man, bar enush, this, this word that we talked about for in Aramaic, bar enush, son of man in all his frailty, he, he, it, that's what he's talking about when it says he grew up like a tender shoot. He was, he was just a regular man. There was nothing special about him. He was here in all humility. He had laid aside all of his powers and his glory to come here and be like us. He was born in a manger, in a feeding trough, as you, as it were. He was not a prince. He was not a ruler. He had no beauty as the world would uh, think of, uh, you know, as we look on the outer appearance and always we're looking for people's uh, uh, special talents and abilities and, and, and good looks. He had none of these things. He wasn't, um, he was despised. He was rejected. He was mistreated. He was familiar with all of the sufferings that we go through ourselves. Look at verse 4. Four through six. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is awesome. 
these sufferings that Jesus endured were substitutionary. They weren't for his sake. They weren't for any sins that he had committed. They were for ours, for the entire human race. He took our infirmities. It all it says over and over, he took our infirmities. It's a there were all of our transgressions all and and infirmities, all the punishment as well, all the humiliation, all this shame that was due to us. He took by divine appointment. It was God's will. And him was laid upon all the inheritance of sin, shame, punishment that was due to us, to you, to me. We being the entire Adamic or human race. And he was our substitute, our kinsman redeemer, our God appointed representative to take upon himself all the negative, all the suffering, all the judgment of God upon his body on the tree. Thanks be to God. Verses 7 through 9. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. And as, as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Everything in this is talking about his trial and his treatment. It captures it in great detail. His innocence, he didn't defend himself when he was... Why didn't he defend himself? His silence spoke volumes. He was the sacrificial lamb. He was there to become that sin. He was there to become the substitution for everything that we did. Why would he defend himself when he was there just to save us and to take our place on death row? And it also speaks about his... um, It says he was... uh, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. So remember, he hung on the crosses between two thieves, but he was buried in the tomb of Lazarus, a rich rich man. So it's all described there. So it was an unjust judgment, and it describes it with amazing accuracy all about his death and burial. And then the last three verses, 10 through 12, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put... He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Remember, he prayed for those who were mistreating him. He prayed for those on the cross, and he prayed for those who were mistreating him. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So it sums it all up. Although he was judged unjustly, it was all a part of God's plan. See, some people think uh, he couldn't have been God because God. why would God let his son be treated that way? Well, if they think that way, they're just carnal. They have no understanding of the spiritual truth and the, and the things that were accomplished 
It was the greatest military, spiritual, and political, and legal victory of all time. It was God's plan. Jesus paid for that plan. The Holy Spirit empowered that plan. And it was awesome. It is awesome. It even speaks of his resurrection. My offspring will see the light of life all after his resurrection he's talking about. To justify the many and the strong, he'll divide up with his inheritance. That's us. We're blessed. Not by anything that we've done. All of our righteous acts are as filthy garments in God's eyes. But we are accredited with everything that Jesus has done on our behalf just by responding in faith and accepting his, him as our Lord and Savior. The life is in the blood, the Bible says, and Jesus poured out his for us. Praise be to God. I uh, <clears throat> Forgive me, my voice is giving out a little bit. I, I think I probably expounded a lot more on the first time that I tried to record this message today. <laughs> so please forgive me, and I hope you're getting all of this. Uh, and that you're gleaning positive things from this because I know that God loves you and he wants you to be empowered by these truths. I've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit. The, in Corinthians, it lists the nine gifts of the Spirit. And I have promised that I would continue to minister on those. And I think it's appropriate and fitting that I should continue on because they kind of go together. I was talking to a minister friend of mine Last night, about 9.30 at night, and I was telling him how God had put it on my heart that we are to prepare the the children of God, the saints of God, for the work of the ministry. And as these end times, these beginning of sorrows that we have entered into uh, begin to culminate and the, the true church, the true children of God, the true bride of Christ becomes separated out from the church that is called the church but is not the church that the enemy has infiltrated and deceived, um, we really are going to need to be walking in all of the gifts, adorned with all the gifts of the Spirit, to walk in power and victory and letting our love and our light shine even brighter and brighter. And it's going to become a time like when Moses went back to Egypt to get the children of God out of bondage that... Uh, he threw down his staff and the, the sorcerers threw down theirs and his gobbled theirs up. And uh, I believe the time is coming when uh, that's what's going to take place with the true children of God. But we're going to need to know who we are and to identify with the Lord as he has identified with us so that we will be confident to walk in power and victory and love and all of the signs and miracles and healings and things that God wants to use us for as the conduit of his will um, to be a blessing to people in the earth and to expand the kingdom of God and open up people's hearts and minds to receive the word of God. I think we need to be focusing on those and asking and praying for the Lord to release these gifts into our lives at his will and his discretion. So I've been talking last week. I, I began in the second group the group group them into three different groups, uh, but I began to expand on the the second group of the gifts of the spirit, the power gifts, which are faith, healings, and miracles. And last week I spoke about faith, which is sort of the the foundation or the conduit or the springboard for all of the gifts. And so I want to get today into the gifts of healing and quickly uh, miracles, and then I'll be done. Um, <clears throat> 
So let's talk about the gifts of healings. That's how it's described in the original Greek. Gifts, plural, and of healings, plural. So you can take that to mean that there are lots of... Um, Lots of gifts of healings and different uh, variations of those. That's sort of how I see it. But you take it as you will. But what does it mean, the gift of healing? Well, I would sort of say it's the, the, the healing power of God channeled through a believer like you and me into the body of a sick person. Without sickness, there's no need for healing. and it, But this gift will replace that sickness this healing power will replace that sickness in the sick person with health and restore them to good health. And a third of Jesus' ministry was, was spent healing the sick and casting out demons. And really there was no differentiation between the two. I know I know of ministers who think that all sickness is demonic. I believe that most sickness is demonic uh, in nature, but we don't want to split hairs over that. Just suffice it to say that I believe that it's still God's will, and I know that it's still God's will for us to heal the sick and to cast out demons. In Luke chapter 4, verse 40, um, I just want to read that quickly. Turn over to Luke chapter 4. Verse 40, this is when Jesus first began his ministry, and uh, and he had gone to uh, Peter's house one night and, uh, and healed his mother-in-law who had a high fever and was in bed, and he just, he just uh, stood over her and he rebuked the fever and, and it left her and, and uh, and she got up and began to serve them. But verse 40, it says, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on them, one on, he's laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of them, crying, You are the Son of God. So Jesus and my point here is that Jesus healed every sick person that ever came to him for healing. He never once in Scripture turned away anyone. He never said, this is too hard. Your sickness is too severe for God to heal. He never turned anyone away. In Acts 10.38, which I refer to often, it says, Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with power and with the Holy Ghost. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So again, I think there he's referring to sickness and demonic oppression um, um, as, 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 as demonic and, uh, or being oppressed of the devil. Uh, you take it as you will. But the point is that Jesus, his, his, he never turned anyone away. He was always willing. He was always available. He was always able to heal the sick. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he did it for one, he'll do it for you. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So it's this God's will is to heal the sick. Mark 5, 24, you're familiar with the story of the story with the woman with the issue of blood. She had spent all her money on doctors and had gotten not better but worse. And she had purposed in her heart, and she wasn't even supposed to be out in public. It was illegal in her condition in the under the current law. But she purposed in her heart if she could get to him. She heard about Jesus. She believed. She said, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be healed. And she did. She found him in a crowd. 
And pressing in, she she t- grabbed hold of his garment and touched him, and she was healed. And Jesus stopped, and he said, Who touched me? And his disciples thought that was kind of a funny question, because everyone was touching him. He was pressing through a crowd, and they were all sort of touching him. And the healing power of God was available, in a sense, to everyone there. But only this woman received it. Why? Because she, even though with her hand, she touched his garment. With her faith, she touched him. And he knew it. And her faith caused her to receive and to be healed. And Jesus said so. Luke 5.17 is when uh, the paralyzed man was brought to a place where Jesus was preaching and uh, they couldn't even get to him. They couldn't even get to the door. So his friends carried this man up on the, the rooftop and cut a hole in the roof and lowered him down and right into the front of where Jesus was standing or sitting and preaching. And the power of the Lord was present there, it says, and 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 the paralyzed man was healed. And he did say that Jesus did say he saw their faith, their friend's faith. So remember that. Um, but the point of this is that the power of the Lord to heal can pervade an entire place. And it can fill a room. And I've heard so many stories about this. I've never experienced it myself. But I have heard it from people that I know and from others that I've read. And so I know it to be true that the the healing power of God can fill an entire place and everyone there can be healed. And this is something that we should be longing and seeking for because it will definitely be like a great dinner bell. You want to talk about filling churches. We catch on fire for God. The world will come and watch us burn. And when, especially when they see things like this taking place to the glory of God. Amen. And you say, well, those things are Jesus. Jesus did a lot of wonderful things and I believe he could do anything. But that's not me. Well, I disagree that he had anything that you don't have while he was here. He had made himself in every way to be like us. He did receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is an option for you as well. And it shouldn't be an option. It should be something that you're diligently seeking after, asking God for. And, uh, But I want to show you that it works in, the other, in other lives as well um, as that of Jesus. So in Acts chapter, 15, uh, chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, uh, it talks about the fact that when Peter would come and go to, um, to, to church uh, every day, people would come and they would lay their sick just uh, along the street where he would be walking just so his shadow would touch them and heal them. So this supernatural healing power that comes first of all to Jesus and second of all to to or through those of us who are dedicated to him and serving him in faith. And that's what was happening with Jesus. And in this instance, we don't ever want to put God in a box. The Holy Spirit was even healing people um, by agency or conduit of 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 of, of Jesus' disciple and apostle Peter, but even his shadow was healing them. Acts 28, verses 8 and 9, this is when Paul was on the island of Malta, and the, uh, it was the father of Publius, 
was sick and it said that Paul healed him. It doesn't say that Paul prayed and asked God to heal him. It just says Paul healed him. It doesn't mean that God, that Paul was taking God's glory or trying to think he could do anything apart from him. He just simply knew who he was in Christ and that he had been given the authority and the responsibility from God to, uh, to heal uh, the sick. And I think that um, God has committed his authority to believers. And uh, at times we have an obligation to heal the sick. And um, so that's something we need to, to take more seriously and just to um, um, at least to to uh, endeavor to to take part in that and not be afraid to speak, speak health and to lay our hands on the sick and see them healed. Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 10 verse 8 told his disciples heal the sick he didn't and raise the dead cleanse the lepers he didn't say pray to God to heal them or don't ask me to do it he told them to do it so again it's just another example of the fact that we've been given this authority in Christ we know that it's not us doing it, it it's God doing it through us but we need to be willing uh, agents of this, um, this, these gifts, and uh, and, to, and tell God that we're available. We have to address or acknowledge this responsibility, and at times He expects us to administer His healing power that the sick may be healed. I've uh, I've seen things in my own ministry and, and life, uh, lots of uh, lots of wonderful things regarding healing. Uh, one time I met a man and his wife for the first time over at another believer's home and I was there with another uh, a pastor and this is when I was just being trained up to be a pastor and I was there with a pastor and his wife at another believer's home and there was a friend of his and his wife there and this guy was grimacing in pain as we sat on the patio in the back his knee was in uh, he was in terrible pain from a knee injury that he had for quite a number of years and he said it was really aggravating him and he, he couldn't get it um, to stop he could barely walk on it and I just walked over uh, led by um, an act of faith and I just I just I spoke to him and told him the Lord Jesus wants you well and he said oh I hope so in other words he probably thought that I was maybe going to pray for him and that maybe he would get healed somewhere along the way but in this instance the Lord healed him immediately I said well I said he wants to do it right now and I put my hands on him and I said be healed in the name of Jesus and immediately he sprang up and he was healed. He said, "I this has been bothering me for so long. He said, I don't have any pain. Everything's as good as new. And I was just really, really blessed that, that, um, that God will use me. Because at that time, uh, it took me quite a while once I came to the Lord to get be free of all the condemnation and uh, and things that I walked in. And I just didn't, you know, to believe that God would use me like that. And uh, I knew that it wasn't anything special about me. It was just a responsibility that I had. And it was God's desire to heal this man. I had a knowing. And so by faith, I just I just did it and it worked. And it's, it's, it's really that simple. There's nothing, it's not, nothing to do with us. It's just us being obedient to the, the uh, leading of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and, and faith um, acting on these, these gifts. And the, but I will say that the gift... Some people have this gift, and in such a and it works in such a manner that it's different than just praying for someone in faith, and the people being healed or getting better over time. Um, sometimes this gift of faith is just something that uh, 
it just really rises up in the person and you know that it's uh, it's something for that moment that God has for that person and it still may take time but you know that you know that you know that this person has been healed so God gives the gift the sick person has an option as well to receive from this minister because um, their unbelief and their doubt and their negativity can sometimes hinder them receiving so it's not that god's transmitter is broken but their receiver sometimes has to be turned off i know i have a friend that says if i can just get you in neutral if i can get get the person i'm praying for in neutral and and their and their doubt and unbelief instead of pulling the other way just to at least get in neutral i'll use my faith and get them on across the finish line so that's um, something interesting that i've always remembered him saying the last one in the power gifts is the working of miracles. Healings and miracles are very closely related, but they're distinctly different. Healings, again, may often be gradual, though uh, other times they, they can be instantaneous, um, and they but they could take days or weeks or months. So it's important that we don't ever get out of faith when we don't see instantaneous healings because they can be gradual. Um, but most of the time with uh, miracles, they they are visible, uh, whereas healings can be invisible in the body, in some part of the body that we can't see or and we don't know that the healing has been accomplished immediately. Um, but with miracles, they are, are visible most often and uh, often instantaneous. The gifts of the Spirit... There, I like to talk about the rainbow because God spoke to me about his love and his presence and his covering and his protection and his provision uh, to me so clearly one time with a rainbow. But the gifts of the Spirit are sort of like the colors of the rainbow. They're all individual distinct colors, but they shade off into the others. So healing shade off into miracles and both somehow are related to uh, or shade off into faith. And um, and that's just something that you need to remember that faith is always present uh, when one of the other gifts is is utilized. <clears throat> the um, some of the examples maybe I guess would be um, um, helpful for uh, for what the differentiation between healings and miracles. Um, if my if I've had uh, some hearing loss due to uh, maybe uh, maybe somebody's been in the military and they're um, and they've ha- had a lot of uh, uh, gunfire around them and they've suffered some hearing loss um, or something like that that's one thing which can be healed but if they're missing part of that ear the middle ear or a portion of that ear or the lens of an eye or one leg is shorter than the other or an arm or they have a missing or broken bone or something that is healed crooked this is not there's no sickness of there's no sickness present so there's no healing that is uh, available um, but it requires a miracle and so that's the difference oftentimes you'll also see um, the principle at work with miracles about faith like I said before faith without works is dead and that's a scripture that we need to remember because faith should always be present anytime um, you're dealing with or operating in the gifts of the, the spirit because one of the characteristics and the fruit of the spirit is faith in <clears throat> John chapter 9 Jesus met a man that was blind from birth 
Um, and uh, I think this is probably one of those cases where it wasn't uh, it wasn't a, an illness, a sickness, or anything. But he had been blind, maybe without the eyes, or maybe with a, portions of the eye were not formed properly. Uh, something was missing there. And Jesus spat on the ground um, and made clay from the dirt and the spit, and uh, which is interesting because that's the substance that he used to form the first man, Adam. And he put this clay on the man's eyes and he told him to go and wash in a certain place. And in faith, acting in obedience, the man went and, and he washed and he was healed. And so that's an example of a miracle in the life of Jesus. In Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 17 I like to use this passage of scripture about the ten lepers when we're talking about being thankful, which is imperative to the life of a believer. An unthankful person is a person that doesn't walk in great faith because they fail to remember what the good things that they have and what the good things that God has done. Instead, they focus on the things they don't have or on the situations or circumstances that are bothering them. And so, without thankfulness, we often find a faith that is hindered by unbelief. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 17. This is where Jesus met ten lepers on the road. Uh, oh, I was in 7 instead of 17. Luke chapter 17. Verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along, Jesus was, between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not there ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And that word there for made well is sozo. He was sozoed, which is more than just a healing. The nine were healed, I believe. The healing power of God was released as they acted in obedience. But the one received a miracle when he returned and glorified God and gave him and was thankful and worshipful to the Lord. He was sozo. This is an all-inclusive word, including not only physical healing, but restoration and wholeness and salvation. So I believe this one was saved. And not only that, but if he had parts of his body that had fallen off from this terrible um, disease, they were restored to him. So there was a miracle there. <clears throat> Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, and I'm going to end here. Um, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, one day, um, starting at the first uh, verse. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried 
whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. He was someone who was crippled his whole life. Someone carried him out there to beg every day for money, and that's what he was doing. He was sitting there, and verse 4, and Peter, no, verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Hallelujah. This man was lame from the womb. He needed a miracle. He expected to receive something from Peter and John. He was hoping to get some money as he was accustomed to doing. But it was interesting what Peter did. By faith, Peter said that he did have something to give to him, but it wasn't money. And prompted by the Holy Spirit, he told him, what I do have, I give you. And as Christians, we are expected to have something. By faith, we are expected to do just what Peter did here, to know that God has um, called us and given us the authority in the name of Jesus to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead, to open blind eyes and deaf ears, etc. Peter used a catalyst, the command of faith, to appropriate the miracle that was needed and then he followed it up by action. He took the man's hand and lifted him up. And this is one of the things that I hear time and time again, that it takes an act many times to release the miracle working power of God into the life or the body of the one needing the miracle. And this is where a lot of Christians get off the bus. <laughs> I know a man who has a great ministry. He's, he's seen people raised from the dead and lots of wonderful things. Um, but he had this sort of a similar situation. He went and he thought of this scripture and he prayed for a man in a wheelchair. He lifted him up by the hand and yanked him out of the chair and the man fell on the floor and, it, <laughs> and he couldn't get him um, to receive, receive the healing and so he had to get him back in there he was embarrassed and, and hurt by it but um, you know I don't know what to say about that but I believe um, that this still is for today I know it is because the same people that have had um, times when people didn't receive the healing have had other times when they did and so you just never know, and uh, we need to just believe that God wants us for everybody because he does. And sometimes there's just something broken, and it's regarding our faith or the, the person receiving faith. Who knows? But um, if we really dead to ourselves and our own uh, egos and the reputations, then uh, we should at least be willing to to follow the Holy Spirit's promptings. Maybe that's it, too. Maybe... Uh, 
Maybe he had not been prompted by the Holy Spirit. I don't know, but for some reason he thought he was. But I want to encourage you to seek God about the the gifts of the Spirit, that they are real and that there are thousands upon thousands of true stories that people can share with you, not only from the Bible, but also from today, this time in in the body of Christ where these things are happening all around the world. You're just not going to see them in the news because they're always going to try to dispel them by some sort of uh, natural uh, interpretation. You know, the other thing, if you read all of the chapter 3 and continue on, the wonderful thing that came after this miracle uh, happened in the life of this this uh, para, uh, this 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 beggar. It got a lot of people's attention, and Peter preached a wonderful sermon at the end of that chapter, and people were saved. And this is always the goal. It's always about God. To Him be the glory. The Father and the Son. That's the Holy Spirit's goal: is to bring them glory. And to use us to accomplish that. Are you a willing um, conduit for the work of God? It's all about the love of God and expanding the kingdom of God. So thank you. We love you. God bless you. And we are praying for you. I hope that today you have uh, come a little closer to the Lord. Um and gotten a better glimpse into his life and to his humanity as well as his divinity and the purpose of his coming and that you believe it and that it has strengthened you in your faith and that you will begin to seek God to be used more mightily for the expansion of the kingdom of God and to help those that are in need. I think now more than ever, it's very important that we receive the help that God has for us, healing us everywhere we hurt, empowering us by the Holy Spirit, allowing Him to love us, getting a revelation of that love, and prospering us in every way so we can help others with the same help that we have received. We are blessed to be a blessing. When, when, uh, when Jesus told them to go and heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead, Freely you have received, freely give, he said. We need to be free will offerings and offer our lives to God to be of service to him in these times. And believe me, we'll never regret it. You're never going to outgive God. He loves you and he wants so much for you. I hope you'll receive it today in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the, the miracle working power, the, the gifts of healing. Thank you, Lord, for faith, the gift of faith. Thank you for coming, Lord. Thank you for this Passion Week. Help us to be focused on you and to meditate on your life and your purpose here that you identified with us by becoming like us. And we are to identify with you as we become more and more like you, glory to glory, beholding you and not ourselves. We have no solutions, no answers in and of ourselves alone as man would teach. The answer is not within man, it is it's in you, Father, within you, Jesus, within you, Holy Spirit. We thank you and we love you and we thank you that our names are written in the book of life. In Jesus' name, amen.